Great is the Lord. Thank you for that. Well, I want to say uh, thanks to Pastor Carly, even though she's up at Schweitzer with our students, for opening the Word last week and doing a great job. And our family, my family, uh, took the Sunday off and we went to Spokane, where uh, we went to church with my mom, uh, which was great. And uh, once in a while, you got to do that. You got to go to church with your mom. Um, and we had a good time, but we missed being with you. The, the last time that we were together, we uh, spent, uh, the last couple times we were together, we spent um, time in Luke chapter 2. And before that, we spent time in Luke chapter 3, looking at the beginning of John the Baptist ministry. I, I want to go back to Luke chapter 3 again this morning and go a little further uh, along and look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which traditionally begins with his baptism. So I'd invite you to stand out of honor of the gospel this morning, Luke chapter 3, starting at 15 to 17 and then 21 to 22. Luke 3, starting at verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John, we're talking about John the Baptist, might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in the hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff and the unquenchable fire. Now to verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying. Heaven opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now it's not on your screen, but let me read one more verse. It says, Jesus himself was 30 years old when he began his ministry. This is the word of God given for the people of God, and we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, let me, let me tell you, when, you, uh, when you're learning to preach... In school, they'll tell you that in the beginning of a sermon, you, you need to have like some kind of hook. You need to have some kind of story. You need to have some kind of joke that may or may not, but preferably does, go with the theme of the day. And I, I just got to be honest with you. I searched all week for, you know, some kind of joke about baptism, right? And, and I did find one, but it's not very good at all. So I was faced with this choice. Do I tell you the bad joke, or do I just skip it all together? I'm going to tell you the bad joke, okay? And I'm just going to trust that you will be appreciative that I spent all week trying to find one that was better, and maybe respond with making my heart feel a little, a little lifted. You don't have to break into applause after the joke, but here it is. In Texas, it was so dry last summer, and you're supposed to respond... That the, you guys are pretty good already. It was so dry in Texas last summer that the Baptists were starting to baptize by sprinkling and the Methodists were using wet wipes and the Presbyterians were giving out rain checks and the Catholics were praying that the wine be turned back to water. Thank you. You've, some of you were very compassionate. Others of you, I'm going to remember. Um... You know the story of Christ's baptism. John the baptizer, the Baptist, he is, he's baptizing in 
the River Jordan, and people are flocking to hear him. They are responding to his invitation. And among those that, that would come to John to be baptized was a young carpenter from Nazareth, and he happened to be John's cousin. Now, John knew who Jesus was, of course, and, and he also knew that, that Jesus ought to be the one that is baptizing him. But when the time came, Jesus stepped into the water, was baptized by John. And after he was baptized, Jesus began to pray. And as he prayed, heaven was opened up. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, You are my son whom I love. In you, I'm well pleased. I think there's a number of interesting things to note about Jesus' baptism. First, I want you to notice that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him as a dove. You know, we have uh, uh, 136 kids that are here. I think we have a slide for that point, Pam. Uh, we have 136 kids that are a part of our school here from pre-K to, uh, to eighth grade. And I have learned now, uh, after 21 and a half years, kids say the darndest things. But you know who say the best things? The preschoolers. One of the preschoolers this week said to his teacher, I've, uh, I've got an allergy. And the teacher said, well, what's your allergy? What are you allergic to? And the little boy said, I'm allergic to Satan. I thought, that's pretty good. They say all kinds of funny things. Like, like the other preschool story I heard about the mom who, uh, who drove into McDonald's and her preschooler was getting so excited. I mean, all preschoolers get excited when you drive into McDonald's, but that's not why this guy was excited. For while they were sitting in the parking lot of McDonald's, a seagull landed on the hood of their car. Now, when was the last time you got excited about a seagull landing on the hood of your car? But, but this little guy is excited, this four or five-year-old, and he says, look, Mom, it's the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. I mean, obviously, he's been listening to his teacher at Christian preschool. Now, you might remember the next time you see a seagull or a dove land that maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something. Or maybe you just dropped a French fry in the McDonald's parking lot. I don't know. But, but in the case of Jesus, the symbolism of the dove is profound. Remember, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah that so many hoped would be the warrior king. And yet, the Holy Spirit, who is sometimes characterized in, in the Bible as a, as a mighty wind or as tongues of flame, right there in this moment, descends upon Jesus as a dove, a symbol of peace and meekness. It's also worth noting that the minimum sacrifice that a poor person needed to bring to the temple in order to, to have their sins forgiven was a dove. Maybe a symbol of Jesus being the sacrifice of our sins for the poorest and the least of us. And then you remember in Genesis chapter 8 that, that it, Noah sends out a dove in the middle of the flood at the end when, when he's thinking that the water is beginning to recede. He sends out a dove and, and in Genesis 8 the dove comes back with an olive leaf and it gives him hope that the waters are beginning to come down. You see all through scripture the dove is a symbol of hope and salvation. So from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry he gives every indication that he is going to be a different kind of Messiah than what they expect. He has not come as a conqueror, but as a peacemaker. 
not as a master, but as a servant, not as a judge, but as a savior. The symbol of Christ is not that of an eagle or a seahawk or a falcon, but a dove. And it's interesting to note that Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. John was uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's boy, this humble and righteous couple in the best sense of the word. Zechariah was a priest and Elizabeth came from a priestly family and John was born to them uh, in their old age as promised and foretold. Elizabeth and Zechariah have great dreams for their boy. And already he is the most successful preacher in the land. And yet John knows that Jesus is far more special than he is. John doesn't mince words. I read them to you. I want you to hear them again. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's talking about Jesus, of course. But the method in which he's talking, the language in which he's talking, sounds a lot more like John's preaching style. For John the Baptist was a preacher of judgment. He was concerned that people would live as they should according to the law. I think it's significant that even though Jesus came as a bringer of grace, he in no way contradicted John's message. For righteousness is an important characteristic of a follower of Jesus. Holiness is something about a people who are called to follow after God. People who are baptized ought to live differently than those who are not. They ought to be those who follow after God, ought to be kinder. They ought to seek justice. They ought to be more forgiving. They ought to be tolerant. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and, and baptized people should live on a higher plane. Their life should look different. There's a 10-year-old boy in Reverend Sarchette's congregation named Cameron. And uh, Cameron came into the, to the church office one day and went into the pastor's office. He was fresh from soccer practice, had his Cincinnati Reds ball cap on, and said to the pastor, I need you to do something for me. And she said, what can I do for you, Cameron? He says, I want to be baptized. He said, in Sunday school, we've been talking about baptism. And the teacher said, raise your hand if you've been baptized. And he said, a lot of my friends, their hands went up, and I, I couldn't put my hand up, so I want to be baptized. And using her best pastoral tone, Pastor Sargent said, Cameron, do you just want to be baptized because everyone else is being baptized? And he wrinkled up his freckles and he said, no, I want to be baptized because I belong to God. The pastor thought that was a pretty good answer. She said, uh, well, how about next week? How about next Sunday? And all of a sudden there was a great look of concern on his face. Next Sunday, he says, do I have to do it in front of the whole church? I mean, couldn't my buddy just take me down to the river and do it? I mean, Jesus had his cousin do it. I mean, wouldn't that work? And, and the pastor said, well, you got a pretty good point, uh, Cameron. But, but if your buddy takes you down to the river and baptizes you, how will the church recognize it? And Cameron responded with these unforgettable words. By my new way of life, he said. See, Cameron's understanding was far from childish. It was profound. Baptism ought to signify a new way of life. Following after God ought to signify a change of heart and life in who we are. And if there is one thing that is hurting the church's witness today in the society in which we live, 
is that church people are often indistinguishable from the general population. In the choices we make, in the entertainment that we follow, in the language that we use, church people are often indistinguishable from the general population. And you say, Chad, everything was really good until you started to meddle right there. That's not me. That's the seagull. That's the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. John's baptism was one of repentance, and it literally means, that word repentance literally means to turn the other way. It means to stop going where you've been going and to do something that is different. It's an old story about a machinist at the Ford Motor Company in Detroit. Found Jesus, became a Christian, got baptized, and became convicted that he had stolen a lot of tools from Ford through the years and different supplies. And so the next day, he goes into the foreman, he brings all of the tools, he brings all of the stuff that he's pilfered from Ford over all these years, and he goes into the foreman's office, and he explains what he's done. He said he got baptized uh, this week, and, and he asked for the foreman's forgiveness. And it was such an amazing turn of events that the foreman sent a, uh, a telegram to Henry Ford, who was in Europe at the time, and Ford immediately responded with a telegram with instructions for the foreman. He said, quote, Dam up the Detroit River and baptize the entire city. Can you imagine a world in which a whole city or a whole country or a whole world lived out his or her baptism in the everydayness of their life? The Lord's Prayer would come to be fulfilled. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is to say that baptism is more than a religious rite. It is a rite of passage to a new and different life. The truth of the matter is that many of us take our baptism for granted. As youths, we were sometimes baptized because we'd reached a certain age or our friends were baptized or our parents uh, thought we should be. Even as adults, many are baptized and with little recognition of what it means to actually walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, that would not be true if you lived in other parts of the world. For in many parts of the world, being baptized takes immense courage. There are countries today where it is risky. There are other countries where it means imprisonment or death. And that's the way it was for these original hearers of Scripture, this, this first century church, this early church. It meant that they would be risking their lives because they were becoming a part of a group that was despised by the greater culture. And they were okay with that. When you say, I've been baptized, it ought to mean something quite significant. When a lady gets married, she puts on a ring. Now, the ring doesn't make her married. She could be married without the ring, just like you can be saved without being baptized. What the ring does is serve as a visible sign of this commitment that she's made. Now, many times, ladies, I'm going to let you know a little secret if you didn't already know this. Single guys, you're going to have to back me up here. Single guys, when, when a new lady enters the room, you'll watch, they're... they're they're kind of playing to, to get the right angle to see if she has anything on the left finger. They're, they're trying to understand, is she committed? Single guys, can I get an amen? You don't have to do that. It's okay. You see, the ring is more than a piece of jewelry. The piece of jewelry represents an institution and a covenant. Like the ring is symbolic for marriage, baptism is a sign of the covenant with God. It says, I'm going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm going to look like Jesus. I'm going to walk so closely to Jesus that, that the dust of his sandals gets on me. 
Guys, that's what Thursday night group is working on right now. Following Jesus so close that the dust gets on. If you missed it this week, that's okay. You can join in week number two. Walking so close to him that the dust gets all over you. In this new year, we often think of uh, of times of beginnings and do-overs. Last week, Pastor Carly challenged you to choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this year. Invited you to even put your name on a rock. Put it somewhere that, that you'll be reminded that you're making a choice that 2019 will be a year in which you are going to follow and serve the Lord. Now, if you haven't been baptized, I'd love to talk with you about the significance of it at some point. But for those of you who have, I want to challenge you this morning. Remember your baptism today. Remember that day that you took that commitment and and made uh, uh, footsteps towards Jesus. You started a journey. And don't forget the calling of that journey. The calling of that journey is to be someone who looks more and more like him day after day. And here's the deal with a journey. It implies movement. It doesn't imply stagnation. It doesn't imply just staying where you are. It implies that you are journeying along the way. And for most of us, we ought to be looking more like Jesus than ourselves more each day. And I guess, I guess in essence, that's the question of the morning. In your journey, are you looking more like him today than you did yesterday? In your journey, are you looking more like him today than you did last month or last year? In Protestantism, there are two sacraments, baptism and communion. They both are about remembering. They both are are about recognizing that, that God shows up and does something far beyond what any pastor or people do, far beyond water or bread or a cup. That, that God's grace is actually dispensed in that moment. That we, we partake in the grace of God. And as we do on the second Sunday of each month, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the table. To remember and celebrate the forgiveness and the grace of God poured out on a cross, his love for you. That's communion. A celebration of God's love and forgiveness. But as you come this morning, for those of you that have been, I'm asking you to remember your baptism. Remember the commitment that you made to live a life that has God reflected in your choices. God reflected in your destinations. God reflected in your calendar. God reflected in your life. To live a life that follows the footsteps of Jesus. And remember, remember who he's called you to be. And it may be today as you come to the table, you need to take a moment to revision what your life looks like, to to look different from the world, to look more like Jesus and less like us. Father, we give you thanks today for this passage of scripture that speaks to us about about the beginning of Jesus' ministry and and how baptism launched that. And and this morning we're reminded that we've been a people who have been launched. If if we've accepted you into our life, we've been launched on a journey. And we'll confess to you that there are times we haven't always 
we haven't always stayed on that path of a journey and we haven't traveled as fast as you probably are calling us to. But Lord, that doesn't mean we don't want to be different and do better. We want to come to the table this morning and be reminded just how deep your love is for us. The body symbolized in the brokenness of the bread. The cup reminding us that it's not by anything we have ever earned. It is by grace that our sins have been forgiven. But that God, beyond that, you've commissioned us. You've commissioned us to be a people who look more like you. You've commissioned us to live in a world who might not always like us. You've commissioned us to live in a world that lays aside our wants and your desires become ours. So Lord, as we come to the table, we remember and give thanks, but we come to the table to be challenged today. We come to the table to say, Lord, lead me where you would lead me. May this be a fresh moment and a fresh day. And may I go from this place having been renewed in my spirit, reminded of your love, and committed to the journey. In Jesus' name.